Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Mark 13, Jesus, he's in Jerusalem. He's heading straight for the people that want to kill him. And he knows it. And he's still heading that way. This makes everything that Jesus has to tell us just pregnant with meaning. These are the last handful of hours of his life. And he knows it. So every word that comes out of his mouth is pressure packed. And that's what we're diving into. There, there is actually enough here in Mark chapter 13 that, that we're gonna do away with like uh, personal stories or illustrations like pouring water right over this electrical outlet like I did last week. Not the smartest thing, but, but we all survived. But here, even though we don't have illustrations, uh, this is the opposite of dry or merely academic. This is some great, powerful stuff. Mark 13, chapter... or. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 37. I'm going to read it all the way through. Here we go. You can follow along with your Bibles or Bible apps like always. Definitely want you to engage in that. If you don't have a Bible, grab a free one on the way out. We also have Spanish translations as well if that's what you're interested in. And as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of, the, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children, children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. 
And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And if I'm one of Jesus's disciples, I'm like, I was just asking when the buildings were gonna be destroyed. <laughs> What's all that about? In the vastness of Mark's gospel, in, in Mark knowing that Jesus had just a few dozen hours left, he allows the weight of Jesus's discourse here to just speak for itself. Jesus's words just speaking for itself. I wanna show you what these great buildings look like. I wanna show you a picture of what, a rendering of what Herod's temple, when, when they sat on the hillside and they said, wow, these are great buildings. This is what it looked like. Herod's temple, massive, impressive, commanding religious space that had become toxic to the God it was originally intended for. Sitting on the Mount of Olives. Now, now that's what they were looking at. I want you to see where they were looking at that from. Let's go to the next picture, which shows us this is a modern day sitting on the Mount of Olives and where that's called the Temple Mount, where that Temple Mount stood, that's where that temple would have been. So this is obviously a picture of today. You gotta, gotta take Herod's temple that we saw in the last picture and, and smack it right there. Sitting on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem where it's all about to go down. 
This is like standing above the field at Gettysburg before the Gettysburg battle. This is like overlooking the beaches of Normandy before D-Day. And as Jesus began to talk, I can only imagine how much the disciples' jaws must have just dropped. What is he saying? There are some difficult and even confusing parts of what Jesus says, like how this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. And then he said at another point that no one knows the timing of this, not even the son, and so on. It's a, it's a difficult passage. Welcome back to the series on Mark, I guess. <laughs> now remember, context is everything. So when we're wondering what made Jesus kind of launch off into this discourse, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and his disciples asked him about what's about to happen. You have this view, Jesus, of, of all of these buildings being destroyed. And I imagine they thought we're going to be a part of that or, or we're going to throw Rome off of this some way, shape or form. They had a militaristic idea of what's about to go down. And Jesus goes, your understanding is, is flawed. I tell you, in your lifetime, that building, King Herod's temple, will be destroyed. And it happened in their lifetime in 70 AD when Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem. And the, and the disciples would face heavy persecution from Rome. That's what makes this such a hard passage that he is talking to them and their generation, but, but it also has application way beyond just the here and now just what they were gonna experience. And so it can be confusing. It can be a hard passage to sink our teeth into. When I was working with Pastor Brent, who will be with us next weekend here at Timberline Windsor, I was working with him over at the Fort Collins campus ahead of the Revelation study that I taught there during midweek at that campus. And, and as Pastor Brent and I were talking about all the deep mysteries and, and cosmic wonder of, of revelation and apocalyptic literature like this, Pastor Brent said he, he felt not only a comfort, but a confidence that there are some things that we can't understand. Not just that we don't understand, but that we can't understand. There are some things about how God works and who he is and how history is gonna play out, not just that, hey, we just don't get it. It's that God does not intend for us to know all things. You gotta be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, you're gonna struggle with Jesus and who he is and, and how he tells us these things. Let me put it this way. Just because Jesus tells us about some things doesn't mean he's gonna explain everything to us. There are some things that we can't know. You've gotta be okay with that. And Jesus even says at the end of that discourse, he says, there's parts of this that you won't know, like the timing or prediction or speculation. And so in light of that, I wanna put something on the screen that, that hopefully makes this clear right at the onset. There are parts of what Jesus teaches on the end times that we won't know. So don't try. <laughs> and there are main parts that he does intend us to know, so keep your focus there. Listen, I'm laboring this point as we dive into such heavy stuff in Mark because I have received too many books 
and emails and video links and meetings of people trying to get caught up in the predictive, speculative nature of end times. I don't want any of us to get lost in the weeds about some of the greatest promises, the greatest source of hope that God's people have. Another thing I learned um, from that revelation study that I briefly mentioned is that when someone starts talking apocalyptically, their words, their tone, their, their meaning, it's all impacted. So don't take what they're trying to say and, and try to understand it in another form. It's kind of like, I don't take song lyrics and treat them like they're history textbooks. You don't take a, a cookbook recipe and treat it like it's poetry. And it's fascinating that while Mark's gospel is not apocalyptic in nature anywhere else, it is here in this discourse, in the heart of Jesus's last hours in a way that lets us in, kind of pulls back the curtain on, a, on an overarching picture in a way that only Jesus can. An apocalyptic Stuff like this is so rich in nature, and I can promise you it only gets richer the more you dive into it. If you're someone that's, that's looking for some more meat, some more homework, I'd love for you to use a resource called The Bible Project. Just Google The Bible Project, and they, they started a series last year uh, on chaos. And it's a whole series that they took once a week in a podcast and all that, but, but listen to the very first episode of that podcast. If you want to know, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the richness of apocalyptic content. It, it, it just fills things out in a way that like only art can. So we're going to go back over Mark chapter 13 a second time, this time with the big picture, big purpose in mind that Jesus is bringing his disciples then and now in on the end times. And I want us to remember that we're supposed to get three things from that. Jesus's discourse gives his disciples then and now three things. Preparedness, a readiness to suffer, and trust. So we'll keep that up on the screens a bit if you're a note taker or if you're using the Timberline app to fill in those words. Now this time around, I'm not gonna read all the words of Mark 13 again. For one, because we've already done that. And for another, because I intend for you to engage in this on your own with your own Bibles. But, but this second time through, we're gonna take each of the sections and we're gonna kind of summarize them. I'm gonna have summary text of what those verses are about up on the screens. And I will be the first to admit, I know we're wading pretty deep this week. And it's only because that's where the gospel of Mark leads us. We're following his lead. If you thought you're overwhelmed by what did I walk into this morning, imagine what the disciples thought on the Mount of Olives. So here's what the first eight verses are all about. The first eight verses are all about in the midst of Jesus's last hour, hours prompted by a question from his disciples, he says, this is the opportunity to let his people in on the signs and the symptoms that will be emblematic of a lead up to the end. These signs and the symptoms that Jesus unpacks, 
that many will try to lead people astray. There, there will be wars and rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. Those things are not the end themselves, but they're events leading up to the end. They're evidences of the reality of the end. Jesus finishes that section by saying, all these signs and symptoms are the beginning of birth pains. Like the pains that accompany pregnancy increase and intensify more and more and more leading up to the climactic event, Jesus says, that's what the signs and symptoms you're gonna see are gonna be like. It's gonna get harder. It's gonna intensify. That's how such signs and symptoms are indicative of the end, the culmination of history, one of the greatest points of hope and security that the people of God have. All right, verses nine through 13. In light of those signs and symptoms, be on your guard about these things. Or in the words of what we've reflected on over the last couple of weeks, steal your courage. Don't be caught unaware or unprepared. You're not only supposed to withstand the hardships of the world, you're supposed to push through. He says, for the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. At this point, when he was telling his disciples this, how far had the gospel gone? <laughs> it's almost in a way, other than his predictions, there wasn't a gospel yet. And so he's saying from, from what hasn't even started yet, I don't just want you to endure these hardships. I want you to push through it. You're gonna take this thing global, guys. You're gonna take this mission and message of my life and love and take it out to the world. I don't just want you to endure. I don't just want you to withstand the hard times. I want you to push through and I want you to take my life and my love and let it reach the ends of the world. I know it's gonna impact your rights. I know it's gonna impact your freedoms and your family and your businesses. But if my life has been any indication to you, any model example, the heart of the Father declares all of that is worth it so that people would know the gospel message that if they believe in me, they might be saved, someone might be saved. And then verses 14 through 23, see the big picture of what deception will look like. Here's where we get this term, the abomination of desolation. <laughs> it's kind of a creepy term, especially in English. But the main point of this section or, or this verse of a song, if it's helpful to kind of imagine what Jesus is sharing here, like it's, it's a poetry or lyrics, is that serious, untrenched, un Entrenched, unyielding opposition exists to destroy lives and destroy the truth. You're called to take this out to the world, but it's gonna be hard for you. It's gonna be hard. That's why this verse, this section gets so personal and specific. He starts envisioning people and what they're gonna be going through. He says, flee to the mountains. Don't Take anything with you as you flee. Don't turn back to get your cloak as you're running from threats of destruction and the evil days. 
it was applicable. He could envision this as being applicable for the people in the suffering that they were gonna endure from Rome and beyond that. The people of the church must not act like our heads are just down in the theological sand when it has to do with what's going on in the world around us. I know many great pastors that, that on Sundays or, or weekends, right before they go to preach, first thing they do is check the news. What's been going on in the world around us? It's not that the church is supposed to be a primary dispenser of news information, but it's also not that the church is supposed to just put our heads in the theological sand and ignore what people are enduring and going through around us. Jesus' teaching and his life does not overlook the hardships and the suffering and the oppression that people are going through. You need to know our God sees and understands the hardships and the suffering that people endure far more fully than we do or any news source. And in this discourse, he's preparing his disciples then and now for tough days ahead of them. As you're taking this mission and message worldwide, I want you to do it with your eyes open, church. I want you to pay attention to what's going on around you. I want you to be involved when there's hurry and immediacy and tribulation. You can endure this because I'm telling you what's gonna come. It's going to grow and intensify just like birth pains leading up to the end. It's not gonna last forever. <laughs> For those of you wondering what in the world you showed up to this morning in this content, I get you. I get you, but we have to follow what Jesus is talking about in Mark's gospel and, and trust that, that he doesn't just give us the feel-good version of his truth. He gives us where the rubber's really gonna meet the road and he knows we're gonna need it. This is where this fits in very well with what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks at Timberline. Know what to expect. Develop some grit and perseverance and readiness because all of this, he says, is headed towards good news. I want you to know that. This is not a doom and gloom gospel. This is a good news gospel. And what he has to say in this discourse is ultimately gonna end there. So let's keep working through it to get there. Now, for the sake of time and complexity in this section where Jesus is apocalyptically presenting the destruction that has to come against the greatest enemies, I'm gonna invite those of you that use our bonus resource, which are extra questions or a study guide beyond the weekend service that we make available to all of our connection groups. I'm gonna invite you to go deeper into what Jesus is drawing on in his language here. It's from Daniel, G Daniel chapter nine, verse 27, chapter 11, verse 31, and chapter 12, verse 11. Daniel 9, 27, 11, 31, and 12, 11. Now that envisions, just like D Jesus's discourse, multiple occurrences of destruction leading up to an ultimate culmination. Different points in history that are gonna apply to this, ultimately leading up to the Antichrist's abomination of desolation, horrible 
inappropriate desecration of what God had intended and created as holy. Some people view this as a rebuilt temple. Other people view this as the church and other people as both. If you're diving deeper onto that bonus resource content, you've got your work cut out for you, but, but at least you have something to kind of get you started in, in engaging in all that. But as heavy as all this is, let, it, let me remind us of the main point. See the big picture of history and God's salvation planned over the world for his people to endure and withstand and push through. It's not gonna be easy, so stay on your guard. And now he's gonna get into a part of how and why we can endure through all that hardship. Verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, have a secure hope an assured hope that beyond all these hard things rising up, judgment will come. It will not go unchecked. There will be a day where the son of man returns and all of this will be put to an end. This is a day of great terror for those who have rejected the love and the truth of Jesus. And it is a day of great vindication for those who have believed and turned to him and accepted him for salvation. Now, right there, allow me a moment for a gospel invitation. Every message, every week, every moment is an opportunity for you to turn and embrace the salvation that Jesus and Jesus alone offers. He's not gonna water it down and say, don't worry, there won't come a day where this, there is a decision point. He says, there will. There will be a day where all of creation and all hearts will be judged. Are you gonna stand in that day with your arms folded saying, I'm opting out, as if you had that choice? Are you gonna stand on that day and say, I think I'm basically a good person? and hope that somehow against some measuring rod that stands up? Or are you gonna stand on that day and say, by the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone do I stand? I'm not worthy, but because of what he did for me, I'm saved. And if that's you, you need to know what the Bible further says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. You don't have to wait for another point in my message. You don't have to come to a class. You don't have to do anything to clean yourself up, but accept the salvation that Jesus and Jesus alone offers you. That you can know in your soul that when that day comes and judgment day has come, I can stand before the Lord God Almighty and say, by Jesus and Jesus alone, I am saved. You can accept that right now. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Verses 28 through 31, moving through this poem, this song towards almost at the end. Jesus returns to the same kind of thought that he started with of, of signs and symptoms, and now he compares it to a tree. It's like when you see the tree starting to grow its leaves, you know that it's ripe for fruit. All these signs and symptoms, when you see them growing, the end is imminent. 
Judgment day is coming. The ripeness of the things that he's proclaiming will be fulfilled. And there's one of the more challenging debated lines in the middle of that section. It's in verse 30, where Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, this generation, the people that Jesus was talking directly to, and and by extension, the people represented around them, they did see such destruction. Remember of the question that they started with, when is destruction and desecration to this, these great buildings gonna happen? It happened within their lifetime. Just four decades later in 70 AD, that like a lot of what apocalypse talks about is, is there are minor fulfillments of what is predicted and then ultimate fulfillments. They did see it, that generation, these things taking place. It's a case in point type of example that goes back to their original question. Jesus says, you'll see this in your own lifetime. Even these great buildings will be desecrated and destroyed. And in fact, going beyond that, in the end, all of heaven and earth will pass away, which of course hasn't been fulfilled yet. He says, the only thing for you to stand on is not human-based society or values or hopes. The only thing that will stand in the final day is me is my kingdom and my words. Heaven and earth, creation will pass away, but my words will not. Hold fast to me, my people. I can only imagine right there that a tear comes down his eyes because he knows what his disciples are gonna experience. Hold fast to me. I did not Verses 32 through 37, bringing this in for a landing. I do not say this for my people, then or now, for prediction purposes. Did you catch that? Do you see why it can be so frustrating when people ignore that part and make themselves prediction experts about the end times? And Jesus underscores that with another point of emphasis that can be confusing when he says, none of you should predict or speculate the timing of all this. That's why we said earlier, so don't try. Then he says, not even the son knows. Huh. A little confusing what he means by that because I thought Jesus was fully God and fully man. How can he not know God's timing? And, and some of that, I'm okay with it being a part of a mystery to me, but maybe, maybe there's part of it that I can't understand. Part of it that, that Jesus does not intend that I grasp, but part of it that he's letting us in on. I wanna share a little bit what some smart people have developed, maybe as another branch off for you and maybe you and some other people to study and dive deeper into this. But this is from an ESV Bible commentary I have, and it begins to explain this mystery like this. In his incarnate life, God with flesh among us, Jesus learned things as other human beings learned them. He learned how to talk in a natural progression of how people learn to talk. On the other hand, Jesus was also fully God. And as God, he had infinite knowledge. Here, Mark 13, he is apparently speaking in terms of his human nature, 
This is similar to other statements about Jesus, which could be true of his human nature only and not of his divine nature. He grew and became strong. He increased in stature. He was about 30 years old. He was weary, thirsty, hungry, and was crucified. He is fully God and fully man. And so the commentators here, they continue to foot put forth one proposal, not as a conclusion and this is what it means, but kind of like, it might be like this. How Jesus could have limited knowledge and yet know all things is difficult and much remains a mystery. For nobody else has ever been both God and man. One possibility is that Jesus regularly lived on the basis of his human knowledge, but could at any time call to mind anything from his intimate knowledge, infinite knowledge. Look, today I know that I'm preaching to to a group of diverse people. Some mature in faith and others not yet a part of the faith or maybe just moments in being saved. And, And I know that this can be some hard stuff for us to engage in, but but just like gold miners would not expect to find the the greatest wealth of gold, the greatest veins of gold right at the mouth of of a cave, you gotta dive deep to get the really big stuff, the really valuable stuff. That's what it's like here. I know it's deep, I know it can be complex, but there is such great value and hope here. So main point, staying the main point, because even that, that Jesus detour was not the main point. Jesus says all of this so his people then and now can be ready and be prepared for what the world has to throw at us and can know that, that in him and him alone is our trust, the only thing that will stand. This is why we said earlier that Jesus gives his people a preparedness, a readiness to suffer, and an unthreatened trust in him. And you simply can't have any of that without the gospel. You simply can't endure what this world has to throw you without the gospel. Jesus' life and his message and his love, his word to us, the whole thing, is the only reason by which I can stand in the evil days. His word guides me. His word gives me strength. His word confronts me and convicts me. And man, do I need that when I lose focus on what he wants for me in my life. And he gives us one another that we don't have to figure this out or do any of this alone. So that's why this weekend we have a collection of what we call connections out in the Great Hall, a sampling of of the different ways we want everybody every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be on this journey together. It's deep, it's hard, but we never, ever have to do it alone. It's such a prominent thing here at this campus, the way our weekends fuel our connections and then our connections fuel our weekends. Together we mine the depths. We see how true our trust and our faith in the Lord can be and must be. So over all that, I want us to pray. And in a little bit, I'm gonna have uh, this weekend's host, Linda Motter. She'll be up here to kind of share some, some practical invitations that we have for everyone. And then we'll all respond in, in one more rendition of, of that great prayer 
that we engaged in before the sermon. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, as, as we dive through a complex, deep message, I pray that, that what has been heard, what has been received, and what sticks with us be what you intend for us. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we could see why such preparedness and endurance and spiritual grit is necessary in the world in which we live. And almighty God, for anyone hearing me here in this place or joining us online that is stirred or awakened to receive the gospel, would they know that, that there is now no condemnation when that judgment day comes, when you return, Jesus, and you make all right and judge the hearts and the souls of people that, that each and every one of us who have accepted you, Jesus, need not fear. We can embrace the love and the message and the truth that you've given us and help us know that we're supposed to do that together. Father, pour out your power and love. We worship you. Amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.